0: You, 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 know, I, D, I, D, in the, in the town all the, in the, S, E, A. a you, you, know, I, D, I, D, in the, D the, S, E, A. a, I be, I be a, a
1: Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Caracino. And we are coming to you in different locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm.
0: I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. You are so down at the beginning of this podcast.
1: I mean, am I supposed to be up? We're we're doing a podcast about the state of the UW football program. We felt that needed to happen after the combination of the firing of offensive coordinator John Donovan and a one-week suspension for head coach Jimmy Lake. And the state of the football program is bad. I, I don't know what to tell you, Chief. You're finally there. I'm finally there i knew the state of the program was bad i just
0: it, it took was... you a long time to get to this point uh
1: i don't know i don't know i I've, i think that i've been troubled by the state of the program for a long period of time i just don't necessarily think that a coaching change is the solution to that okay but we'll talk about now, that later. i mean should we talk it okay I, what do you want to talk about first
0: Well, all of that, the state of the program is bad, culminating this past weekend with UW's biggest rival, Oregon, and really something that's...
1: You know what, though? Like, can we be real about something? There are fiercest rival, but this is not an even rivalry. In no sense is it an even rivalry. Oregon is dominant in every facet of this rivalry. the the Apple Cup an even rivalry?
0: No. Who's our rival then? This is such a stupid argument. Count. Rivalries don't have to be even. <laughs> There's no, this is like your
1: derby match. Like, we the, can't the, be surprised that. Oregon is not part like, of what makes it a rival. What is the Huskies rivalry? lost to their rival? Like that happens every year. Except for the year where it's kept postponed due to a pandemic. Which weirdly in his post-game comments in the locker room, Mario Cristobal seemed to imply the Huskies chose to duck Oregon so that they could be Pac-12 North champions. Uh which definitely you want to give, have COVID spread through your locker room to avoid Oregon. That's definitely a completely reasonable comment.
0: Well, let's talk about completely reasonable comments because the week started with some comments from Jimmy Lake about the university of Oregon. Yes. Led to the entire week culminating in both. The decision to punt down eight at the end of the game on fourth down from the 10 yard line. And jimmy lake striking a player yeah and that's that's why the state there's so much more to it but the state of the uber program being bad really culminated on saturday night with those two moments and things moved away from despite the fact that he may have been scapegoated the next day they moved past john donovan right john donovan was the villain so far in, the, in this first half of the Husky season. Things became squarely on Jimmy Lake after that. Look, the offense didn't play well in this game against Oregon, but it became about so much more than just your offensive coordinator. Ultimately, a college football program is not about the coordinators. I think we overvalue the importance of coordinators throughout all of sports, throughout professional football, throughout college football. But in this moment, it is about head coach Jimmy Lake.
1: That comment, which we intentionally did not talk about on last week's podcast, because I feel like it got way more attention, particularly nationally than it deserved as a throwaway comment during a press conference. Uh, This is that is way more pumped up than it is referring to the recruiting rivalry between the two teams. Our battles are really the schools that we go against have academic prowess, like University of Washington, Notre Dame, Stanford, USC. We go toe-to-toe all the way to the end with those schools. So I think that's made up and pumped up in your, I believe, the media's world. In our world, we battle more academically prowess teams. I mean, that is just a, a factually incorrect statement. As numerous people pointed out, you can look at which teams players sign with which school have offers from other schools, the player, the school that has the most offers, you know, uh, most common offers between UW and that school is Oregon. There have been some intense rivalry recruiting matchups with Stanford, Notre Dame and USC, but not as many of them as Oregon. And it's not like Oregon is recruiting a different subset of players because of the fact that it is a weaker academic institution. It's, it's factually wrong. It's indefensible. And it was a complete distraction as much as coaches talk about avoiding distractions. Jimmy like created one for himself with this, but also I don't know that we needed like a million think pieces about it.
0: Were there think pieces? It's sort of like, Oh yeah, we're
1: think pieces. I, I guess, I guess anytime, you, anytime you read about academic prowess, it's a think piece.
0: There we go. The it's sort of like your argument about a rivalry though. Oregon is not UW's rival in recruiting because UW never wins that rivalry.
1: I mean, that one's a little closer than it's been on the field, I would say.
0: There we go. <laughs> Hang the banner. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> a little closer than it's been on the field. It's the same as the 1960 national championship. <laughs> <sighs> no one could argue against it. Therefore, it exists. Uh, the starting with the on-field on play, though, from the team. And it was, a, it was an interesting game. It was actually a pretty fun game for, through the first half to be at uh, UW. It was defense... a pretty
1: fun game through the first quarter and a half to be at, and then the downpour started and it was not fun to be at, even though it wasn't necessarily anything to do with. Like, Oregon did, I think, take the lead around that point, but it was still a 10-9 game.
0: Yeah. Uh, UW's defense came out looking pretty good. They were stopping Anthony Brown and forcing him to pass the ball a little bit. He didn't look particularly accurate. Uh, forced the interception on the first drive. That was almost a pick six by Carson Bruner. Uh, and then later on with the decision to punt that actually worked out in this scenario for Jimmy Lake, because there was a lot of grievances with Jimmy Lake in this game. It's not just the two that we discussed. It is throughout the game, littered throughout the game. There were decisions that put his team in a negative position to win the game. And that, that happens with
1: every week with Pete Carroll and we don't have state of the Seahawks football organization podcast every week,
0: because the thing that does not happen with Pete Carroll is he does not strike a player. Like th- that is a much bigger difference between what happens with Pete Carroll. Also Pete Carroll is Russell Wilson. Like I, I, the reality is Pete Carroll, as he said, if it weren't for Russell Wilson would have been gone a long time ago. And the reality is we'll be talking about whether Jimmy Lake should be gone this season, but Those, those two things being true, all of the other stuff that culminated in these moments that got them there, the decision to punt, just because it works out one time doesn't mean it's going to work out every time. Right. So just because you get one safety on a punt doesn't mean that it's a good decision to punt. I can also say that three points is more than two points. Seven points is more than two points. Like a safety is a very nice outcome from a punt. And a safety actually
1: is better than a field goal as a result, because you also get the ball with good field position.
0: But the, the chances of that happening are extraordinarily low a single time. They're extraordinarily low. The chances of it happening again, especially against a team that can run the ball like Oregon, the chances of it happening again are even lower. So you can start with those decisions to punt early in the game. Or the Huskies moving the ball, getting phenomenal field position throughout this, the at least basically the entire first half, and doing absolutely nothing with it on offense. Not having any urgency on offense. Feeling like the game is close, they have a lead, therefore it's going to be a field position game. Yes. Defense is going to hold them. And that is something you want to talk about, Pete Carroll. It is something that we see over and over and over again. Coaches coaching for the situation that they're currently in, not the situation that they're going to be in the fourth quarter.
1: So they punted the first one that you were talking about that set up the Oregon safety, who was on fourth and one from their own 34. It was a, a perfect punt by a race porter who was oh, able race to get Port- backspin. Race porter on it. did nothing wrong, was able to get backspin on it and land it at the one foot line, not even the one yard line, uh, a 65 yard net because Oregon fearing a fake, kept its defense on the field on that one. They punt again, fourth and one at the Oregon 46, so much closer to midfield. That one also lands at the two. Then they punt at fourth and three from the 50. That's all in the first quarter. Were you stunned speechless by that? No, I just didn't know if you were going to continue. (laughs) I I don't think there were that many more notable punts. Uh, They did go for a fourth and one at the Oregon 23 within the second quarter. And that's when Sean McGrew was stuffed on the wildcat.
0: And that was the moment that things really turned. So in this game, again, on the field, we have those decisions to punt. We have being down 15, the Huskies score a touchdown. Statistically, what should you do in that situation after you score a touchdown?
1: you should go for two. I mean it's a, that you know w- when I tweeted that and Christian Capel retweeted he mentioned that the math says you should go for two. I actually don't think that's the right way to put it because people people don't like math. The logic says you should go for two. It's not even about the math. It's the logic says it's you both. want to know as soon as possible how whether you should get whether you need two scores or can potentially tie the game with one score.
0: It is th- the decision to do that is delaying yourself unhappiness. Like, it's, it's a weird psychological thing that coaches do. And it's like, if we Extend don't the game. get this now, the game being longer, two coaches is more important than winning. But extending that unhappiness of, if they don't get that two-point conversion, then they're down nine, and then people feel unhappy, right? Then they're going to need two scores, even though they are in a better position to win the game. So there's that decision that happens the Huskies managed to get the ball back and then
1: thanks to Oregon imploding with back-to-back personal foul penalties. And
0: and really, I want to say this had nothing to do. It had maybe the smallest bit to do with UW's defense. Like you can't really give UW defense a lot of credit throughout the second half in general, maybe the game in general,
1: but I think that's a little unfair to the UW defense. I, I think the, The visceral nature and the length of the drives makes people overstate how much of a problem the UW defense is.
0: To me, the problem was the 28 carries for 211 yards for Travis Dye. We're talking like Marshawn Lynch against, that's what? Yeah, that's
1: that's what I'm talking about. That's the visceral aspect of it. But 28 carries for 211 yards, It's like if a quarterback throws 28 times for 211 yards, that's a that's a fine game. Like no one, no one bats an eye at it and just rushing yards are treated differently. And I, there is an element in terms of consistency and extending drives that is different between rushing yards and passing yards.
0: The difference was also the points that Oregon scored. They scored points in this game. They didn't just get those numbers.
1: When do you think they don't score points? Oregon?
0: Getting, getting away with 26 points in this game. UW should have given up more like there were problems. So anyway, you get to the decision, 4th and 10 from the 10-yard line.
1: Uh, 26 points was their third lowest total of the season for the record.
0: That's not that good. That, like, how many of those games are against awful teams?
1: Well, they scored 35 against Ohio State. I don't know whether you consider them awful or not.
0: Oregon had one really game, good game all year, and we're just going to keep coming back. They, they one.
1: scored 31 against your beloved Fresno
0: State. I, Fresno State plays offense. <laughs> I know Jake Hayner doesn't play defense. Last no, time I checked,
1: didn't really play it. That's
0: last week. Hey, careful. <laughs> then, the decision to punt the ball, like on this fourth and ten, you and I are there in the moment. Before third down is yes. when you brought up the idea of a punt
1: because you hadn't gained any yards. You're going to throw it again. It's probably all or nothing. It's not. You know, likely that you're going to throw it short of the sticks in that situation. You're backed up at your own 10. And at that point, I thought it may have been possible that even with what we talked about with the UW run defense, that stopping Oregon and getting the ball back was more likely than converting that fourth and 10.
0: And to me, if you're going to lose the game, I would rather lose the game with your offense on the field. And not to bring up the numbers or whatever, the numbers also backed up this decision. If they punt that ball, they are not seeing the ball again.
1: So the college football, uh, AI for, AI sports, fourth down bot modeled after third Pelton brother, Ben Baldwin, similar bot in the NFL said if they had gone for it, they had a 2% chance of victory versus a 1% chance of victory with a punt. Uh, also, what, what would you say were the Huskies chances of converting that fourth and 10? Cause I'm curious how that compares to what they say. Ten percent. is twenty six percent. So if it were ten percent, I think you would have been better off in that case to punt. So
0: ten percent converting it, zero percent chance of getting the ball back if they punted it. Well, unless it there's a similar organ implosion,
1: because they snapped the ball directly. It looked like we were very close to the field because we had just got we had come back from the bathroom and just stood right next to the the entrance in and out from our sections in the East end zone, rather than going all the way back up to the top for the last, last drive. And uh, it looked as we, we were already walking out, I think as they had decided to punt perhaps or close. No, to we yeah, no, no, yeah, you're right. You weren't. Uh, it looked from that level as if like, if you were trying to intentionally have a safety on a punt at the end of the game to avoid the risk of it getting blocked for a touchdown, that's what it looked like.
0: So but it, it was not that right in front of us. They decided to not only the decision to punt the ball, to take the ball out of, out of your offense's hands to punt it. And then to have the ball hilariously sail over your best player. Jimmy Lake loves punting so much that he did it seven times in the game. And he tried to do it one more time. This is a person who is obsessed with the idea of punting the ball. These are all turnovers Every single one of these times that they punted the ball as a turnover and they did it in this very moment deciding the game. It happened. The ball sailed over race Porter's head. I said, we got to go. And then we walked right out immediately when that happened, we were completely done. And that
1: was just on the field for Jimmy Lake. Well, I mean, the other stuff was on the field as well, but uh, Oregon punted six times in this game. Let me point out, like the difference between Mario Cristobal and Jimmy Lake on, they also punted on a fourth and one from midfield. The difference between Mario Cristobal and Jimmy Lake in terms of fourth down decision making is like, it's like this much.
0: We're not concerned about Mario Cristobal and Jimmy Lake. We're not looking for Mario Cristobal to be the next head coach of UW. The difference is total yards, 427 for Oregon to 166 of UW. First downs, 22 for Oregon to seven of UW. Like these are not numbers that are competitive. Oregon is a good team. They are a good team. They are a college football playoff team, but this was a total domination offense and defense. This is not a you scapegoat John Donovan. This was your defense is broken as well. I do not
1: agree with that assessment. If, Again. The team,
0: if, if, if a team can run the ball, the Huskies do not have, they had good run defense in a single game all year against the Stanford team that does not run the ball well, that only passes. They have one good, what's the word I'm looking for here? Unit. Unit. Basically on the entire team. Is there any I mean, other place that you could point to as a strength on this UW team
1: aside
0: from the secondary? Is there anywhere else?
1: Race Porter's directional kicking.
0: Okay. Punting. (laughs) We're back to the days of when Sean Douglas was the best player on the team. Like that is it. And if you, if they can't step, stop the run, they can't run. They can't pass. The linebackers were relying on one phenomenal game from Carson Bruner. And, no offense to Carson Bruner, but like, he's not ready to shut down this Oregon rushing attack. They ran all over UW in this game in the same way that Michigan did in the same way that Montana did. They don't have an offense and they
1: don't have a defense. And again, Montana, Montana did not score very many points. Again, I think you're putting too much of this blame on the defense. The defense <sighs> is good. The offense is extremely terrible. It's so terrible that they nearly rake as bad by FPI efficiency is the year they went 0 and twelve. I, that time, that time, you actually are speechless, right?
0: I mean, I, I'm not like. There's so much more, but I want to talk. I want to talk about Jimmy, Jimmy Lake and the incident that happened on the sidelines.
1: Yeah, so we noted we first became aware of this when it was someone grabbed a, uh, you know, the TV footage and posted it on Twitter that uh, during an altercation between Oregon and UW players on the UW sideline. Uh, Lake pushed away Ruperake Fuvi and struck him in the helmet at the conclusion of that, then shoved him a little bit and continuing to, to push him away from this, uh, the, the altercation with Oregon players. And it became clear by the end of the game that this was going to be a, a major issue for Jimmy Lake.
0: And he was absolutely out of line.
1: It's, it is unacceptable, as the athletic department said in their statement. Uh, you know, they also said that they, they thought that this was unintentional in deciding to uh, hand him a one game suspension and had talked to the players involved. And, you know, I'm sure that there was an element of, you know, determining, is this part of a pattern of behavior or is this in isolated incident? And I think there is a pretty big difference between those two in terms of how you feel about Jimmy Lake as your coach going forward. I, I mean, obviously it's unacceptable, but if it's something that happens on a regular basis, that certainly becomes grounds for immediate, immediate termination. I don't know that this one incident on its own, isolated, is grounds for immediate termination, which may or may not be what they have determined in deciding to suspend him for one week.
0: They said that it was unintentional?
1: I mean, I, I'll pull up the exact statement here.
0: Because I don't know what that means. He didn't accidentally punch Rupert Kwavi in the face.
1: I mean, I think it's more that it wasn't, you know, you premeditated. pre-meditated? pre-meditated.
0: I, I, I do not understand what that means in the context of this.
1: All right. Here's the exact statement. President Kausay from Jen Cohen, President Kausay, our fa- faculty athletics representative Alexis Harris and members of our executive staff are in agreement that while we do not believe that his intentions were his actions were intentional or deliberate, we can have no tolerance for a coach interacting with a student in the manner coach Lake did. We have high expectations of conduct for our coaches and we will not shy away from those expectations.
0: I, I think it's a very strange thing to say, uh, given the context, because it was clearly intentional. I, I don't know. You could say that he was acting uh, without thinking about it or something like that through aggression or rage or something like that, but in t- it was intentional. The decision to do it, it was an intentional decision. Like it wasn't an accident. What happened?
1: His hand didn't slip, no.
0: So I I don't know if I exactly understand what that means. Also, if this were to happen in a classroom, let's say that a teacher were to punch a student in the face in the classroom.
1: Well, first off, a student in the classroom is not wearing a helmet. So punching a student in the I, fa- punching a person without a helmet in the face and punching a person with a helmet in the face are two totally different things. So we can't say that. I, but I, yes,
0: if, I can accept that, it, it, but it's still behavior that's out of line.
1: Hit someone on the wrist in the classroom. Like that's not acceptable at UW at this point. No, I agree or, with that.
0: Or if you push somebody over, if you aggressively push somebody, is that acceptable in a classroom? Like that's how the highest paid state employee of Washington state.
1: Well, only because Nick Rolovich is, is depends on the status of his appeal, I guess. Was he question. paid
0: more than Jimmy Lake? He
1: is paid Nick more than that Jimmy That is wild.
0: Lake. Uh, Say what you will about Jimmy Lake, but whoa. Uh, The highest paid state employee of Washington State punched a player in the face and pushed them immediately after. I would take an issue with the
1: term punched. He struck him. That's definitely he struck or hit him.
0: Struck an unpaid student athlete of the University of Washington in the face. And push them. That's what. I don't happened know why you're forcing
1: situation. me into the position of defending this. I'm not this forcing action. you
0: into the position. I'm saying that it is it is completely unacceptable behavior. I'm so you think you litigate. should have been
1: fired immediately?
0: I'm not trying to litigate any of the response beyond that. I'm just saying what happened is completely unacceptable.
1: Well, they they also said it was unacceptable. So you we agree on that. I
0: I have no idea what the response should have been beyond that. I think that it, you're getting into legal terms. And it's probably a very complicated situation beyond that. I have no idea what what should have been done beyond that. But I don't think they would have been out of line to have fired him for it.
1: No, I would agree with that. I mean, and obviously, like all of this takes place in the context of the fact that this has been such a disappointing season for the Huskies.
0: And look, people are willing, especially in the sport of football, to look the other way at unchecked aggression, right? Intentional or otherwise, people are willing to look the other way at unchecked aggression in the sport of football if you're winning. And I understand that. I think this is something that is, I, I'm not sure if they took this severely enough with a one-game suspension. How about that? I, if they would have suspended him for the rest of the season, I think that could have made a lot of sense. But I have no idea.
1: And we, we don't know the ultimate resolution of this. Certainly, Christian Capel's article today in The Athletic suggested that he thinks it's very possible that the two sides negotiate some sort of buyout that represents a middle ground between UW trying to fire Jimmy Lake for cause, which would then remove the obligation for the 10 million he's guaranteed for the final three years of his contract. Similar to what Washington state assuredly did with, I don't know if they've confirmed that, but with Nick Rolovich, because he did not meet the uh, standards for employment uh, with the vaccine requirement and Jimmy like just getting the entire 10 million that he's owed. That, that would be a middle ground is if there was some sort of buyout negotiated.
0: And and Christian Cable indicated that there's a chance that that happens post-season or it
1: uh, could happen, at any point supposedly at I mean, any point it, it was interesting like they asked so we haven't mentioned that defensive coordinator bob gregory will serve as the team's interim head coach this week in lake's absence and he was asked during his press conference along with interim offensive coordinator jr adams today it was
0: uh, kind of wild seeing two people who previously were not in anywhere near these positions of power a week ago yeah at a press uh, conference that you definitely gotta like how did i get here type of vibe
1: you're, you're wondering how I got, uh, you know, he was asked, like, are you, do you know for sure that this will only last a week? And he was like, I can't say that. So I it was, I mean, I understand that he couldn't say that, but it was also an interesting response.
0: It was a tough week. And then culminating with, so that, that was today. Hey, is
1: are we just going to not, are we just wrapping up the leak discussion or are we going to come back to that later?
0: I think, I want to come back to that later because I want to talk about John Donovan first.
1: I think that's fair in the context of, look, you, you said that he's been the villain this season, the scapegoat this season. If you are going to make the case for Jimmy Lake, a key component of it is, look, whatever you say, statistically, you hate math. The Statistically, the UW defense remains very good. The offense is the problem with this team along with the special teams, which have also continued to be horrendous from an FBI standpoint.
0: That's really, I feel like the special teams is pretty good.
1: It looked very good for much of the day, but then when you have a safety on a punt, it (laughs) negates a lot of that benefit. (laughs) That Jimmy Lake just needs the right offensive coordinator Mm -hmm. next to him to run the show and to get get things moving in the right direction. That's like the most optimistic argument you can make for Jimmy Lake at this point.
0: It is giving so much credit to an offensive coordinator to say that's the case. Like, the the ultimately, Jimmy, like, hired John Donovan. Did, there were all sorts of offensive coordinators out there, whether it was because of clout or money or whatever, why they didn't go out and get somebody like Joe Moorhead, who, you know, maybe if he's looking for a head coaching job next year.
1: Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm interested in Joe Moorhead at this point. Why? I don't think that his decision to attempt to score on that final drive was... I mean, not that it was entirely his, but he certainly owned it post-game. And uh, I, I don't think that's consistent with what I want in my football coach.
0: Winning games, you don't like that, scoring points. I say bring it on. Can you imagine the rivalry that you don't think exists with Oregon if we go in there and get Joe Moorhead this offseason?
1: I mean, certainly there there is a track record of Joe Moorhead replacing John Donovan and it working out very well for that team at Penn State.
0: Uh, also of kind of... Oregon guys ended up ending up being very successful coaches at UW. Uh, John Donovan gets scapegoated for this. The reality is I I don't know if John Donovan was just calling bad plays. I don't know if I don't think I expect the offense to look that different going forward. And ultimately, it's,
1: it's going to be fascinating to find out because so much of the question is, look, from a philosophical standpoint, they weren't throwing on early downs enough. They weren't doing enough job, a good enough job of mixing and add snap motion on a regular basis, doing the things that we've seen work on a regular basis. They would do them for a quarter or a drive or two here and there, and then they would just disappear entirely from the playbook afterwards. And it was mystifying is what the difference. It's
0: a different offense every single week. And sometimes it's a different running back every single week.
1: Also, also mystifying.
0: The offensive line has somehow become terrible under Jimmy, like, I don't... Some of the same talent that you would expect to have been good and for some reason is just awful. Like, it has to maybe start coming down to play calling at some point for the line to be that bad. Like, if, mean, you're te- if you're if you're telegraphing like the, your it's plays... It's not like the
1: play calling was good during the Bush Hamden era.
0: But if you're telegraphing your plays that much, maybe the offensive line is just being put in a bad position, I don't see how otherwise they got so bad. Putting Dylan Morris into awful situations. Putting Dylan Morris into situations where... You have plus and you have negative situations for a quarterback. Obviously, if it's third and long, defense knows you're going to throw. You can change that by putting your quarterback into better positions. Is Dylan Morris the perfect quarterback? Absolutely not. Through a brutal interception in that game. One of the worst interceptions I've ever seen from a process standpoint, throwing into three defenders for Oregon. But they still could be putting Dylan Morris into better positions. Throwing the ball at the line of scrimmage constantly. You look at some of these yards per reception. 7.5 7.5 for K-Dotten, 5.5 for Jalen McMillan, 3.7 for Roma Dunze, 9 for Terrell Bynum, 5 for Devin Culp. They're not even trying to get the ball downfield. And throwing the ball short is just as bad as a run. The, that is what they have determined. That's, that's what the offense was against Oregon, is quick throw, what you hope if they you block execute and break the tackle. There was no, there was no offense. Otherwise they ran slants against Stanford. It was gone from the playbook. There is nothing. They hit Terrell Bynum deep the previous week, right? Against, against Arizona gone from the playbook. So many different things that are successful. Don't stick in the playbook. The things that stick in the playbook are running the ball up the middle, right? Like that's it. That's what is consistently in the playbook. And it's unclear even who's doing that or why they're doing that. You look at the yards per carry for the season. Kamari Pleasant is significantly better than anybody else on the team I left on that page.
1: Uh, well, Kamari- I, I will I will push back here that EPA does not have... has Sean McGrew much better because he has, tends to get a disproportionate number of his carries in short yardage situations.
0: McGrew? Yes. Which, great. But, like, still just gone, gone from the offense quite pleasant averages two plus yards per carry more than cam Davis or Sean McGrew, completely unseen from the offense, Giles Jackson, somebody who we've seen it in the past with players like, uh, Savon Ahmed. And there was a wide receiver we used to use. God, I can't remember who it was, um, sort of like end around type plays. Giles Jackson is very good at this. Do they use Giles Jackson's talents as an athlete? as a receiver in the backfield sometimes. Look, there are teams who do this. There are teams who get how to use these types of players. Uh, I think there are questions around how the Cardinals are ultimately using Rondell Moore, but like Giles Jackson could be doing that. Cordell Patterson is somebody who, who's excelling in this nowhere to be seen in the offense. A handful of endarounds. We saw even a great play on the two-point conversion against Stanford last week, gone from the offense. There's so much about this team that, offensively nothing sticks and I just don't believe that it is just John Donovan making these decisions ultimately if it is just John Donovan doing it Jimmy Lake needs to have gone to John Donovan as the head coach weeks ago and been like this is the offense this the things that work do more of that like ultimately it is on the head coach everything that happens it is on the head coach
1: yeah that's the nature I mean that's the nature of college football but also the way it works is the head coach gets a variety of different situations, whether it's the quarterback of the offensive coordinator, or all of that, and that's how you understand what role the head coach variable plays in that. And that's why you don't generally try to fire head coaches after they've coached. I got to do the math here off the top of my head here: thirteen games. Typically, that does not happen.
0: Okay, so Jimmy Lake now, John, well, John Adams.
1: Let's, let's just say I mean Junior Adams will take over as the offensive coordinator on an interim basis. He was the wide receivers coach. That's probably been the best aspect of the offense this season is the development we've seen from Jalen McMillan in particular at that position to a lesser extent, Real Madunze. Uh He has some play calling experience with the offensive coordinator for two years at his previous stop at Western Kentucky in 2017 and 2018 before joining the UW staff in 2019. So it'll be interesting. You would think that a receivers coach wants to come in and be more aggressive about getting the ball to those players Than John Donovan. Nothing about Bob Gregory. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Bob Gregory's philosophy, how he's going to oversee (laughs) this.
0: Yeah. Let's see if Bob Gregory is like we're going for every fourth down.
1: I would assume that there is some broad similarity between Jimmy Lake and Bob Gregory, who worked together on the defensive staff for a long period of time. I would assume so as well.
0: I'm very fascinated to see Junior Adams' call plays. I don't know if I'm expecting wildly different results in this game, but it'll be interesting to see at the very least. Yeah. Ultimately, though, when when you take a step back and you look at it, you start with the recruiting difficulties. You look at the massive regression from the offense, right? One of the worst offenses we've ever seen from UW. You look at the defense regressing, and you factor in the incident with Ruprake Cuave, and the decisions that a coach is ultimately. In charge of the the different decisions that a coach is responsible for throughout the game that can give you plus what, what would you say plus positive percentage? expected value yeah expect, expected value per play you have these handful of decisions that a coach is actually responsible for in the game punting or not plays like that passing passing on early downs or not which you know maybe there's some offensive coordinator in there as well when you factor in all of those things Every single one of these aspects, Jimmy Lake has been bad at it. There's no piece aside from the secondary that UW is doing well. Maybe the defense overall has gotten to good, but they've gone from great to good. And I don't know if the talent is significantly worse than it was in the past. This defense is a worse defense than it was five seasons ago. I understand Jimmy Lake was also there, but Pete Kukowski was as well. Like there is no. Aspect. And the defense
1: actually been much better than it was last season statistically.
0: We're throwing last season out. Last season does not count. Fine. But, but when you factor in all of these different aspects, the univer the University of Washington football program is in complete shambles. It is a program that it needs a massive overhaul and makeover. And I feel like we're kind of we're back to square one. Any of the progress that was made under the Chris Peterson era is gone. There's still some talent left. I think if you have the right coach in place, they could put things together. Sam Heward, it remains to be seen what he is going to be. There's talent on the defense that is young. Uh, Savell, Smalls, Carson Bruner, the secondary is still good with the right people in the right places. I think this can be a team that is competing for the Pac-12 championship talent wise. I don't believe that Oregon is that much better of a team than he does. And I, I think when, when you look at it, t- Dogs to Ducks. These two teams are not as far away from each other as you would think. But when you get to all of the decisions that are made throughout the game, what you end up with, what you what you end up with is 427 yards for Oregon and 166 for UW. 22 first downs for Oregon and seven seven first downs for UW. And they they looked like on the field in that game the much better team. The score was closer than it should have been in this one.
1: Yeah. I mean, mostly because of the safety and the interception by Carson Brunner. So uh, I think that there's a debate that we are ongoing having in Seahawks Twitter, and it changes from week to week about is everything that Pete Carroll brings from a big picture philosophical standpoint, is that more important than the fact that he gets these in-game decisions that you're talking about incorrect? And- Different people lie on different sides of that debate. But part of the issue here is that the the unit that Pete Carroll is associated with, which by the way, is also the secondary, that's also his track record as a coach, is bad, has been average at best over the past four seasons. And that's not true of UW. And the other thing is, Pete Carroll is 70 years old. He has coached longer than you or I have been alive. And is probably not going to go at this point in the right direction in terms of his to decision-making. None of that's true of Jimmy Lake, who again, has coached 13 games in his life. And I think to close the book on wh- what he is or who he is as a coach at this point would be an enormous mistake.
0: Okay. I, I think there's a chance of that as well. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we've gotten to the place that we can close the book on Jimmy Lake. But I, I can tell you that right now it seems as though we may get to a year from now and say and feel much better about Jimmy Lake. Things need to change though. The direction they're going in this moment is not the right direction. He's not doing a good enough job to put UW football in a proper position to win.
1: He's but not But I don't think he's getting any help them. either. Because I think there has been a from relentless who? sense of negativity about around this program since from the moment Jimmy Lake took over, through no particular fault of his, I think largely because of the fact that there was a fucking pandemic three months after he was named head coach
0: negativity around the program. Doesn't lose to Montana. I'm sorry, but negativity around
1: the program makes an empty stadium where there's no home field advantage. And that makes it a lot easier to lose to Montana. I don't think that helps. Chris Peterson dealt with negative
0: negativity around the program.
1: No, there was, there was excitement about Chris Peterson from the moment he got here. And it's kind of interesting to me that the negativity around this program for new coaches has been reserved for the two blackhead coaches that we've had i that that concerns me but the other thing i want to say here uh i i think that the expectations for Dub are unrealistic at this point i mean you said it yourself like you look, take out the chris peterson era there has been 20 years since UW went to the Rose Bowl under Rick Neuheisel, or I guess it's since he, they went to the whole Holiday Bowl the following season, where they were just about as good as that, that previous season. They've won at least eight games in the season, six times in that. It was Sarks last year and five times in Chris Peterson's six year. There's been all these other coaches, Keith Gilbertson, Tyrone Willingham, now Jimmy Lake, and the results in, in most of the Sark era, again, to be clear. And the results have not been competing for the Pac-12 championship, have not been anywhere in Oregon's stratosphere as a program. And I, I worry that UW is in danger of becoming the new USC, where you're constantly disappointed by head coaches and churning through them and hoping that you're going to find the next Pete in both cases. And you're not going to find that. And all the turnover is just destroying the program because it's constantly changes in philosophy, changes in style, not the coach the, the players were recruited by and came to play for. And I think that is a terrible way to run a football program.
0: All right. It'll, it'll be interesting to see <laughs> where, where this goes. I, 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 I agree that I think Jimmy Lake could grow into a good college football coach, head coach. Comparing him to Pete Carroll is not a fair comparison at all because Pete Carroll is one of the best college football coaches of all time. And well, also well, has, yeah, if UW
1: could hire a Pete Carroll is their head coach. God, I, I mean,
0: but also the reason Pete Carroll's secondary is not that good is because Pete Carroll is a head damn coach. Pete Carroll is not a positions coach. And I think there is a difference right now. Jimmy Lake is two years removed from being a defensive coordinator. Pete Carroll has been a head coach for decades right? He is, he, is, he is running the entire program for the Seattle Seahawks. It is all about Pete Carroll. And uh, Jimmy Lake is not there yet. He doesn't have the experience as a head coach. He may at some point in the future. And maybe sticking with Jimmy Lake will be the right decision for UW. I think it's difficult when you couple the incident that happened on the sideline with everything else. I think it is difficult. To see that future, and I hope that it comes to fruition with Jimmy. Like I want him to succeed, uh, but right not, now I'm not sure successful. everyone does. It's difficult to see.
1: Pete girl, by the way, an example of someone who was fired way prematurely in his first coaching job. Went six and ten with the Jets in 1994. It took three seasons before they won. Uh, the next two seasons, they won four games combined. So that's that's an needed, example of changing he, coaches. He would
0: be the first to tell you he needed to be fired to get to be who Pete Carroll is today.
1: I do think he improved in the wake of his firings, but I think that was a bad decision by the Jets anyway.
0: I, it's it's impossible to know though. You you can't you can't judge a person without seeing they've been through that adversity, right? Maybe Jimmy Lake will end up being a phenomenal coach somewhere else. Like I I can't say for sure, but ultimately he's probably suffering a little bit because he's coming after. UW had one of the best coaches in college football history, right? We can agree. Chris Peterson is one of the 10 best coaches. He's no longer the winningest college football coach in the, in history. But like, is he one of the 10 best college football coaches of all time?
1: I mean, where specifically he ranks isn't important, but yes, it's huge shoes to fill. And it doesn't help that he's, it doesn't help that, you know, like he's not, He's still on TV every week and people still imagine the possibility of him coming back to coach and that sort of thing because of his age.
0: I mean, Chris Peterson was a phenomenal coach and he was a phenomenal coach because he operated as a head coach and he had these great coordinators with him like Jimmy Lake, like Jimmy Lake is not a bad football coach. He just hasn't gotten to the point of being able to lead this program. And that's what's happening right now. The recruiting stuff, maybe it has nothing to do with Jimmy Lake at all. Right. Maybe Jimmy Lake is a very good person going into these places, but his name doesn't mean as much as Chris Peterson's does. He wasn't there winning the Fiesta Bowl. He didn't go to the college football playoff. Right. Like that. That wasn't what who he was. He needs to build it up. And right now in the season, the one full season that he's had with UW, he has not done a good job of building it up. There is nothing that can be looked at from the season that has said Jimmy Lake as a young football coach will have a long, bright future.
1: No, there's nothing positive to take from this season. I mean, the other thing that just disappoints me about this past week, and specifically about Jimmy Lake striking a player, is the other argument you could make besides optimistically besides for the fact that his defense has been good and he just needs the right offensive coordinator, is that this is a program that, with Chris Peterson, the reason we valued him so much as a coach wasn't strictly about wins and losses. It was also his philosophy of developing players as people of putting players at the forefront. And, you know, when Mario Cristobal says in the locker room that those guys over there represent everything that's wrong with college football, like Jimmy Lake should have had, which presumably he means that they're arrogant, which I I think guilty on that one. Jimmy Lake should have been able to point out, Hey, part of what we represent is the last time that there was a, an update on college football, the academic progress rate, UW was number one in the Pac-12 in APR, and Oregon was eighth. So that was a factually true academic issue that he could have pointed to as a difference between the University of Washington and the University of Oregon. And unfortunately, with that ridiculous statement, he lost that ability. Yeah. But if you think that Jimmy Lake represents that, that moment aside, that incident aside, If you think Jimmy Lake represents everything that's wrong with college football, even among coaching staffs in this state at the start of the season, then your perspective is, in fact, what's wrong with college football.
0: Can we agree about that? Sure. Jimmy Lake needs a pyramid. Take this man to the Memphis (laughs) Bass Pro Shops.
1: (laughs) John Hollinger posted a photo of the pyramid the Memphis Pro Bass Pro Shops on Instagram the other day. I completely forgot that that place still existed. That's uh, what Jimmy
0: Lake needs. You know what's at the Memphis Bass Pro Shops? Ducks Unlimited.
1: <laughs> I really, really managed to bring this back. And again, uh, so we things we are not discussing on this emergency podcast, but we'll on our regular weekly podcast scheduled to be out on Wednesday. Uh, perhaps we will have resolution to the Odell Beckham junior waiver slash free agency. By that point, Russell Wilson being cleared to return to practice ahead of the Seahawks week 10 game at green Bay uh, whose quarterback Aaron Rodgers remains in COVID-19 protocol at the moment after he, uh, he gave an interview and talked about his decision not to get vaccinated. That. I don't, I don't know how much we're going to get into that, but that, that's a thing that happened. Uh, UW men's basketball exhibition opener last week. will have played a game that counts by the time we record on Tuesday night. We'll preview the UW women's basketball season, UW men's soccer update, Jake Hainer update, uh, Sounders capping their regular season, OL ring playoff preview. So look forward to all of that. In addition to, we'll talk about the Huskies in Arizona State and why I'm not at all optimistic about that game, turning hey. things around.
0: Junior Adams, baby. <laughs> it
1: Let's better go. be. Sam Heward may be
0: playing. We don't even know.
1: And the Dylan Morris quote that I saw it, it, in context, it sounded a lot more like Dylan Morris will continue to play. And also at this point, it does not make sense to burn Sam Heward's red shirt and, and, and worrying about the idea that he's going to leave early and it won't matter. Like we are so far away it from burn that possibility. Shirt, How
0: many games are left?
1: Uh, he can play in two more games. They have three more remaining in the regular season.
0: Okay. So two weeks from now. so when you burn Sam Heward red shirt. Colorado game. What a rep. Colorado and Wazoo? Wouldn't that be kind of fun?
1: It 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 probably would be. But then if you make a, win those both and make a bowl game, it would burn his his red shirt but uh, Oh
0: damn.
1: All right. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.